Still shaking his head, amazed, Peter went to Mary's house, the Mary who was John Mark's mother. The house was packed with praying friends. When he knocked on the door to the courtyard, a young woman named, could have been Dora, but Rhoda is her name. She came to see who it was, but when she recognized his voice, Peter's voice, she was so excited and eager, eager to tell everyone Peter was there that she forgot to open the door. She forgot to open the door and left Peter standing in the street. But the house that was packed with praying friends wouldn't believe her, dismissing her, dismissed her report. You're crazy. She stuck by her story, insisting. They still wouldn't believe her and said, it must be his angel. At this time, poor Peter was standing out in the street, knocking away. Finally, they opened up and saw him and went wild. Peter put his hand up, calmed them down. He described how the master had gotten him out of jail, then said, tell James and the brothers what's happened. He left them and went off to another place. This is too good to be true for Peter. If you remember... The Jewish king, Herod Agrippa, had arrested Peter, had put him in prison, and he was scheduled to lose his head. Herod had already beheaded James, the brother of John, one of the original 12, and Peter is next on the list. The night before his execution, Peter is nestled between two guards. He's chained to two guards with two other guards guarding the door, and, and the Bible says he's, sleep, he's sleeping peacefully like a baby. And an angel wakes him up. Hey, Peter. I'm kind of going through the story because it was two weeks ago, so I know that most of us have forgotten what we've, we've talked about. So, but Peter followed. But notice, as he followed this angel, as the angel gave him instructions about getting dressed, he didn't believe it. This is too good to be true. He does not believe an angel showed up. He doesn't believe that the handcuffs fell off of it. He doesn't believe the doors are opening. He doesn't believe he's getting by. He doesn't believe it. He thinks he's dreaming. It's too good to be true. When he finally gets out of the prison, out on the street, and just kind of the cold air of the night wakes him up, he kind of shakes his head. I, 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 I can't. I can't. I can't believe it. Would that, that? I just. That's a statement of faith. Would you like to repeat that statement of faith? I can't believe it. I can't. It's too good to be true. I can't believe it. And so he he's still shaking his head, amazed, as he wakes makes his way through the streets of Jerusalem to the house of John Mark's mother. There he begins to knock, and notice it's too good to be true for Rhoda. He's knocking at the courtyard. So remember, the houses have a courtyard, a gate at the courtyard, and then there's the courtyard, and then there's the house. So probably Rhoda's hearing the knocking at the gate. She can't, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not a wrought iron gate, it would be a door. So she can't see who's there, it's dark. But from uh, she recognizes the she recognizes the voice. That's Peter's voice. Peter's voice. 
And she was so excited and eager to tell everyone Peter was there, she forgets to open the door. It's too good to be true. I'm so excited. So she runs upstairs to tell everybody, and she leaves Peter standing on the street wondering, my goodness gracious, I just... I mean, that was a jailbreak. I just got out of prison. And I, and I don't know if they've discovered that I'm not there. And I don't know if there's soldiers now on the streets looking. You know, he's kind of looking over his shoulder. He don't want to knock too hard. How, what? She forgot to open the door. And then it's too good to be true for the praying community. May I remind you, this house is packed with praying friends. Now, what do you think they're praying? Oh, God, comfort Peter in his death. You think that's what they're praying? I think they're probably praying, Oh, God, oh, God, we can't stand another loss. We've lost James. Or we're grieved. Oh, so deliver Peter, set him free, intervene. Get him out of prison. Hey, Peter's at the... They wouldn't believe her. These praying friends praying for Peter's deliverance wouldn't believe her. They dismissed her, dismissed her report. You're crazy. And she's, she's person. No, I, I, it's Peter's voice. They still wouldn't believe her. And finally, what they believe, what it, mu- it must be his angel. What that means is they believe that Peter has been executed. And this is his departed soul that's coming by to say goodbye on his way to the heavenlies. That's what, that's what that means. A house full of praying friends. This is too good to be true. Well, that same good news that we share, the good news of a king and his kingdom, it's, still, it's too good for us. To believe. It's too good for it to be true. I was reminded of these words from our friend Paul. God can do anything. And then he, then he says, you know? And that's where you've got to stop and say, do you know? Hey, house full of praying friends for Peter. God can do anything like get Peter out of jail without being harmed by Herod, you know? And they would have to say what? Uh, Oh, no, we don't know that. (laughs) No, this is too much. But God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around but by working within us His Spirit deeply and gently within us. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you work within us? Would you deeply and gently work within us to remind us that God can do anything? It's too good to be true. Now, when it's too good to be true for those that belong to the king, it's not so good for those that are self-serving. Our story continues. Acts 12, 18 to 23. At daybreak, 
The jail was in an uproar. Where is Peter? What happened to Peter? That's the guards. That's the four guards. They probably had this exchange. There were 16 guards that were, were guarding Peter around the clock. So the next four came, and, and they're going, oh, Hey, what has happened to the prisoner? When Herod sent for Peter, so now he's, you know, bring Peter to me. We're going to execute him. Uh, they couldn't produce Peter, and they could not explain why not. And so Herod ordered the execution of four soldiers. They lost their heads, literally. And King Herod was fed up. I'm fed up with Judea and with Jews, so he went on vacation to Caesarea. Caesarea is a Roman city built by Rome, a harbor on the Mediterranean Sea. So he's leaving. He is a Jewish king, but he's a puppet king to the Roman Empire. I'm I'm fed up with Jerusalem, with Judea, with Jews. I'm going to go to the comforts of the Roman city, Caesarea. When he gets there, things go from bad to worse. Now people from Tyre and Sidon, which is further up the Mediterranean coast, put him on the warpath. But they got Bastus, King Herod's right-hand man, to put in a good word for them and got a delegation together to iron things out because they were dependent on Judea for food supplies. So the Roman Empire would, would put food supplies in Judea under the care of King Herod to distribute And so everybody became dependent upon the Roman government. They needed those food supplies. One day, they set up a meeting, and Herod came robed in pompastry. He took his place on the throne. He regaled them with a lot of hot air, and the people played their part to the hilt, and they shouted flatteries. The voice of God the voice of God. That was the last straw. God had had enough of Herod's arrogance and sent an angel to strike him down. Herod had given God no credit for anything. Down he went, rotten to the core. A megatry old man, if there ever was one, he died. See, this is the tale of two kings. It is the King Jesus who is thwarting the plans of King Herod. So King Herod wishes to execute Peter, and Jesus, the king, says no. And what that demonstrates for us is that Jesus' authority on the earth is greater than King Herod's authority. And Herod is frustrated. And he doesn't know, he just knows that didn't work. And so off he goes to Caesarea. And there he's now in trouble again with people resisting his rule. And so Jesus, I think in the background, is saying, Hey, Herod, Your kingdom is not going to work until you submit yourself to my kingdom. 
if you will commit yourself to me as the king of the universe, then I will turn things around for you and your government's going to work better. But tragically, that's not the way it worked. Herod held on to his self-service. He held on to his arrogance. He held on to resisting the king and the kingdom Jesus. And the result was disastrous. But the message that Luke wants us to get is there's only going to be one kingdom that's standing. And at this time in the nation of Israel, Jesus is now the king. Herod is not. Jesus is king in Jerusalem. Jesus is king in Judea. Jesus is king in Samaria. And now it's time to announce his kingdom to the nations. And that's where we go next in Acts 13. So it's Jesus' kingdom that's the eternal kingdom. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, we say, Yours is the power. Yours is the authority. There is no government on the planet that is greater in its authority than you, Jesus. Yours is the glory. You deserve all the honor. You don't ever want crowds gathering around an earthly king and saying the voice of God, because that's not where the glory is. Jesus deserves that proclaim. And Jesus, yours is the kingdom. There is no other kingdom that lasts. For our community, I think there's a couple of things here for us to consider. Number one, our faith is too good to be true. Now that may sound like, what kind of faith is that? That's what it is. Our faith is unbelievable. When you have one of the guys that hung out with Jesus shaking his head and saying, I can't believe this is happening. When it is happening, that should tell us something. That's not a negative confession. That's reality. This faith is so good, I can't believe it. My trust in Jesus is so far beyond what I ever could think or imagine or dream. When Peter was in that prison, he's at, I, mean, I know he's at rest because he knew that Jesus was alive. He knew, if I lose my head, if I die, I know there's going to be resurrection. I've seen it. I know it's promised. I trust. That's why he's resting. But in his wildest imaginations, he did not believe that an angel would come and set him free from that prison. I can't believe this. This is just too good. That's faith. That's faith. When, when God does something that is so much bigger, grander, beyond what we could think, beyond what we could imagine, and we're shaking our head amazed, that's faith. So what are our wildest dreams? So when we had Jack Sarah with us, he told us about the beginning of Bethlehem Bible College. And he told us that Bashara Wad, you know, late 30s, early 40s, as he looked at the Palestinian territories, as he looked at the church, as he looked at 
the need to train young leaders to serve the church. He realized that these young Palestinian Christians were going to Germany, to Australia, and the United States. They were going abroad to study, and nobody was coming back. And it didn't take a rocket science scientist to say, you know, that's not working. <laughs> you know, we, we already have too many believers leaving the land. We, we need people to stay here, so we need to start a school here so people can be trained here and stay here and serve here. And so when he shared that vision with a group of pastors in Bethlehem, right now there's eight evangelical churches in Bethlehem. I bet there's about that many at that time sat down with eight pastors. Here's the vision I've got. And a pastor wrote him a check for $20. Here you go, start that school. Now, economically, can you start a school with $20? No. No. But Bashara took that and said, thank you very much. I can start a school with $20. Because he dreamed this wild dream. He believed that God can do anything. God can take $20 and he can start a school and we can train hundreds and hundreds of young Palestinian Christians to serve the church in the Middle East. That's one story we've heard as a community. We also heard Kathy's story. Who would ever imagine? Kathy would never imagine that she would be living in a vicarage belonging to the Anglican Church in a neighborhood called Farley Hills in Luton. It's beyond, it's beyond her wildest dream how that would happen. So we've had two people kind of walk through our door, share their story, which I think reminds us God can do anything. Are we bold enough to put it out there. God, this is, this is my wildest dream. And I'm going to trust you. Give me the faith to trust you that you really do come through and do, you can do anything. Then the second thing for our community really has to do with which king and which kingdom do we serve? So I started thinking about that. I just, I just did just ding dong, hello. There are so many parallels between what people lived in in the first century and what we're currently living in. People in Jerusalem, where we are, had a corrupt government. Had a, had a government that was in control of the economy. People lived in fear of that government. People probably had conversations about what could possibly, the worst thing that could happen. What are they going to do next? People were economically pressed and oppressed. Things weren't going well with the government of Israel. Now, every week, I am surrounded by my friends that are saying exactly what I think the people in the first century were saying. I'm concerned about the government. I'm concerned about the head of the government. And I'm concerned about our economy. But did you notice what these people did? Two things. They prayed. And somehow, through that connection, they stayed connected 
with the kingdom that is eternal, and they separated out the temporal kingdom from the eternal kingdom. And I'm here to remind us, God's eternal kingdom is eternal. It's the one kingdom that's going to stand when it's all done. The United States of America is not an eternal kingdom. It's a temporal arrangement. It's not eternal. God's kingdom is. So how does God's rule, how does God's kingdom influence this government? It's influenced through people like you and me who make the kingdom of God the priority, not a national government. And did you know there's another thing? It's not just where your trust is, not what, what, what you're trusting. These people kept... They, they keep, there's humor. These people kept their good humor through trying times. When Luke is writing this story and he's telling us about Peter, the angel waking Peter up, and Peter's kind of waking up, and that, Peter... Put your coat on. Peter, put your shoes on. Peter, come on. When, when Luke is writing, he, he knows that that's funny. When, Peter, when, when Luke is writing us about Dora, oh, oh, I, it's, oh, it's Peter's voice. And she forget. He knows that that's funny. He, he wrote it into the story. He's saying, people of faith, you got to keep your humor. And the situation was really serious. James lost his head. The government cut off James's head. The government arrested Peter. They're going to cut his head off. And yet this community is trusting, is praying, and they're keeping their sense of humor. That's the message to us. Because we have a permanence in our king. We have a permanence in his kingdom. And we know that, that that rule and that reign in our lives is what can spill over and make all the difference in the kingdoms of this world. But every kingdom in this world must be submitted to Jesus. He is the King of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. So in our context... We need Democrats that love Jesus, serve Jesus, and influence the Democratic Party. We need Republicans that love Jesus, serve Jesus, and influence the Republican Party. We need Tea Party. We, I mean, you just go across the board. Every political spectrum needs people that follow Jesus and know that Jesus and his kingdom is number one, and they bring the influence of his kingdom into their political perspective. It's not the other way around. If the church services the political perspective of a party, it's in trouble. Our allegiance is to Jesus. Our allegiance is to his kingdom. And we trust him when everything seems to be falling apart around us. And we smile (laughs) as it's happening. Wow, that's something for us to learn. Would you like to stand with me?
take a moment. What's your wildest dream? God can do anything. Let's just pretend like you believe that. God can do anything. And so what would you ask him to do? What is beyond what you think? What is beyond what you imagine? What's your wildest dream? What is our wildest dream as a community of people? Holy Spirit, I ask that you give us faith. The Bible talks about faith as a gift. It's some, some sort of a... It's just this thing, this package you can deliver into our hearts. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, now to deliver that package, that gift of faith, that each and every one of us would come to believe in both words and in practice that, God, you can do anything. We all have some sort of wild dream that we've been longing for. Holy Spirit, give us the faith to make sure that is something the Father wants for us, but then to hold on to it. Give us the faith to invite you to do what you do. You do anything. And with that same faith, Holy Spirit, help us to be a community of rich faith and good humor. James says, count it all blessing, brothers and sisters, when you face all kinds of trials. You know that this is a trying, this is a trying time for us in our nation. You know that. But fill us with joy. <laughs> fill us with joy in spite of the pressures that we feel, in spite of the fears that we have. Fill us with joy. Fill us with faith. Help us to keep our focus upon you and the permanence of your kingdom. And let us accomplish what you want to do through us for our generation. Influence us with your rule, with your kingdom come and coming, that we might influence all those around us. Jesus, you are the king. Jesus, you are the king of all kings. Jesus, you are the Lord of all lords. And we acknowledge your supremacy above all in this simple prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Cancel our debts. As we forgive the sins of others, as we cancel the debts of others. Lead us far from temptation. For we're vulnerable, we're gullible, we're easily deceived. And deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. For yours, Jesus, yours is the kingdom. Yours is all authority, all power. Yours is all glory. We bless you this day in your name.